1984 is, I believe, a quite terrifying masterpiece. So terrifying, in fact, I don't think I should like to read another like it. I'm not absolutely dissatisfied with it. I think it is a good idea, but the execution would have been better if I had not been under the influence of TB when I wrote it. I think that allowing for the book being, after all, a parody, something like 1984 could actually happen. This is the direction the world is going in at the present time. In our world, there will be no emotions except fear, rage, triumph and self-abasement. The sex instinct will be eradicated. We shall abolish the orgasm. There will be no loyalty except loyalty to the party. But always there will be the intoxication of power. Always, at every moment, there will be the thrill of victory, the sensation of trampling on an enemy who is helpless. If you want a picture of the future, imagine a boot stamping on a human face forever. The moral to be drawn from this dangerous nightmare situation is a simple one. Don't let it happen. It depends on you. Suppose Google really puts into effect this Ministry of Truth and now it's ranking websites according to their version of the degree of true facts in the articles on a particular website. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grimerica Show. We're going to be talking with John Rappaport a little bit later. Uh, we got RPJ joining us, but first, as always... Graham, my feet don't touch the ground in this chair, Dunlop. <laughs> How's it going, buddy? <laughs> You're sitting on a stool or what, man? Oh, I shouldn't have divulged my innermost secrets earlier tonight to Darren. Yeah, no, I'm I'm good considering my legs are numb because my feet don't hit the ground. <laughs> I'm in a high chair. So, okay. and we've got Red Pill Junkie here and we're excited to be here. We've got... Uh, John Rappaport coming up and he's got his website, no more fake news.com. And I've heard him on lots of shows before. And of course we get into the vaccine thing. That seems to be his latest thing. And Darren and his wife have been interested in that. And, uh, I, I, somebody was challenging me a little bit on vaccines the other day. And I, I had a hard time going as far as John goes on this. That's, that's uh, pretty interesting. Mm. It seems like the two, it was actually the lady cutting my hair and, and the two interesting topics seem to be like the big hot button issues about science and skepticism is like vaccines and climate change. Think so? Yeah. Those are the yeah. fucking two big ones right now. Because the two affect uh, people the most. It's, it's like those are the two less abstract uh, way in, uh, you know, in which the news, uh, mainstream news nowadays uh, reach people. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, interesting stuff. So, Darren, uh, we've got John coming up. Do you want to talk about our feedback from the Moon episode? We had an episode there with Crow seven seven seven, and it's it's got a lot of feedback, both sides, very polarized. <laughs> I don't know. Are we going to get into that? Do you want to get into that? Yeah, we. I want to get into that. 
Do you? you don't want to get into it? I suppose we could. I don't know. It's getting pretty nasty. Is it? Nice to really? stay away from it. Oh, here I am all prepared. Push it off into the corner. Really? Instead of making it worse. I'm just, no, I'm just reading some of the polarized comments and I wanted to discuss some moon stuff with you. I, don't know, I wanted to see where you thought, felt about the whole thing. Okay. Yeah? So I'll start with the negative feedback. Okay. Hmm. Hello, Gray America crew. I've been listening to the past few months and really like your show, but I have to ask, why the hell are you giving airtime to this Crow 777 Joker? I listened to him on both episodes of the Higher Side Chats and can honestly say they're the worst podcast I've ever listened to. And this is coming from, uh, who is it? Actually, I don't know who it's from. Hmm. This clown's grasp of basic science is shocking. I've watched his lunar wave video. I worked in an R and Amped center that made high-end TVs, and I can tell you without hesitation, I saw his, this lunar wave effect on a daily basis. It's just a simple refresh of the image. Lunar mm. wave? For fuck's sakes, and the videos of the ship blasting its rockets are even worse. Please don't ruin your podcast by giving oxygen thieves like him any more airtime. That's kind of mean. Yeah, that's a little mean. We don't like to be that mean in Great America. <clears throat> and then on the other side of it, we got uh, some feedback from Akka. Gentlemen, you know that I have the greatest respect for you. I can tell you the subject matter is new and a little tough for you. Certainly the rock bottom seriousness and inherent responsibility this reality engenders is harder to chew than the usual forbidden history and alternative science. However, I want to urge you to keep digging along these lines, despite the difficulty it poses in your world to your world views. On earth, we are no doubt witnessing the truth's last stand, at least in terms of the mainstream of humanity having access to the virtue of the actuality. If those of us whom recognize the deception all around us, fail to educate and wake up our brothers and sisters in the near future, everything of true value will be lost. You have the choice of how to proceed in this context and what you will choose to do with the influence you have cultured. When I am on my deathbed, I want to feel that I try to make a difference with the time I had. I hope you will join me in sharing that sentiment. <coughs> so that's just an example of the way... This has so, created a huge polarization. A lot of people yeah. saying, hey, he's on to something, and a lot of people just completely blasting him. I'm going to mm. reserve my comments until uh, Red's listen to the episode and revisit it <laughs> on a future Thanks. date. Thanks. Well, why why are we even talking be, about it now? Well, I don't know. It's going to be kind of, I don't know. I haven't listened to it, you know, this Bear with me, guys. You know, I, I listen to a ton of podcasts. Not that I'm saying that the Great America is in my lower Below list. Below on the no, bottom no. of the list. It seems no. like it, though. Hey, what's up? It's been, been out a week Maybe already. this is Red's oh, last show. Here comes the ambulance. No, it's not. No, guys. I, no, I, I'm actually uh, listening to the one about mindfulness. Yeah. I think yesterday or the day before. So please, uh, I'm about to listen to the to this uh, episode about the lunar wave. Some of the things that have a list I have listened so far are giving me pause, but I will try my best to be open-minded and without judgment while I listen to it. 
Okay. My, my thing is, uh, if you don't mind me commenting now, Darren, sure. Sure. is, uh, is if, if he goes a little extreme in, in his conspiracy about the whole thing, then that's okay with me. Like, I don't really care where he goes with it. My thing is that what he's showing us on video is if it's real, which I, right now, I, I don't think he's faking anything. It's, it's interesting and it's, it deserves investigation and it's happening and, you know, multiple people are videotaping this and he's got some other interesting shit. Uh, so I don't really care where he goes with it. I think it's interesting and it deserves some. What know. if he's not faking it, but misinterpreting it? Then that's fine. He, he does sound like okay. he will, he will, he, he's admitted when he's been wrong before. I've heard him admit when he's wrong. So he, he's not the type of guy that's saying he knows everything. He just goes down the rabbit hole pretty deep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is the footage is good. And he, and I think after that, some of it might be like, I don't know. I have trouble believing that nothing leaves low earth orbit. Yeah, yeah. That is. Yeah. Me too. But that's tough, but I can but something weird on the moon. Something's I'm, I'm going like, on with the moon, the black box thing and all that shit. Like that shit all sounds perfectly reasonable to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just going that step further to say that nothing's been out of earth and, and, and all the images from NASA are fake or whatever. Yeah. That's getting a bit, bit much. Yeah. Because what about the Voyager probes, you know, to have <laughs> photograph, uh, Jupiter and Neptune, Saturn and whatnot. So, so th those are all fakes too. Well, yeah, he's saying that, that those, he, you can't even <sighs> see real pictures from the earth, right? He's saying oh, that my. if you, like where he was saying on our show, where do you see the pictures from outer space to earth? Right. There's not a lot of them out there or if any. So, and I don't know when, when Darren so and I, what about the Europe, uh, European space agency. So those are also in the conspiracy, all of the yeah, space man. agencies. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, this reminds me of the movie interstellar. And by the way, you guys have seen it right now, right? Yes. Yeah. So it was interesting to see how in the movie Interstellar, oh, by the way, spoiler alert. So in the movie Interstellar, <laughs> the lunar landings were considered to be fakes, <laughs> you know? There were uh, some kind of hoax perpetrated by the United States in order to, to I don't know, to, to fool or con the Soviet Union. So that to me is like, I don't know the the idea of the conspiracy mindset that is starts to un, that starts to undermine too much too much of uh, of our consensual reality and and I'm I'm all for trying to challenge consensual reality but then you know you have to <laughs> remain try to to keep I don't know your your two feet on the ground as much as you're possible. If you're starting to to challenge if things can't leave the the orbit of the planet, then maybe then you start to challenge that whether the the world is round or not. You know, <laughs> well, then that's, we're that's the thing. That's the thing is, I yeah. think that that's where that goes. That's yeah. Because because okay, so then it gets into the moon being yeah. Then it gets into the moon being closer and. Uh, 
Right. Yeah. So then, and you know what's funny is I can see exactly where Greg went down the rabbit hole because his next episode was a flat Earth guy. Greg from the oh, higher side, side chats. chats. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then. But I mean, the, just the fact that I can look around and see clouds hitting the ground all over the place is proof that the atmosphere is bent. I can I verify that with this, my five senses. Well, this is this is the challenge, right, guys? You know, with with us, we oh, yeah, in the fringe. Sorry. Some people are not comfortable with being in the fringe and uh, prefer to stay, you know, well in the middle of, of the things that are well accepted by consensual reality and the things that are, are sanctioned by uh, authority institutions like, I don't know, governments and academia, whatever, you know. These are the things that we have, we have to handle. Those of us who are willing to go beyond the trenches and the things that is like uh, terra incognita, you know, uncharted territory. And when we have to say, well, which, which of the things we encounter is worth exploring and which are the things that, you know, we should just discard it and move along. Yeah. I feel like we hit a turning point here where like we've had so much good feedback so far and not a lot of negative feedback, but this episode, for some reason, I mean, we've, we've, challenged people's paradigms before and we've talked about some crazy shit before but mm. this thing just struck a chord with people like mm. and and uh yeah i feel like i i it's a challenge personally too to, to take all this this negative feedback that comes with doing episodes like that even about you know us and the podcast or whatever like there's trolls out there that are kind of you know it's mean or they mean bro. Yeah, yeah i don't i don't really care about that it's just it's interesting like this it feels like this is gonna funny. start I coming like when out. an episode comes out and that Ruffles people's feathers. I know. Well, you do. <clears throat> fuck y'all in your feathers. <laughs> well, if you're trolling for the sake of trolling, then uh, yeah, I shouldn't have said uh, trolls because they might not be. But no. they're not all trolls. It's you know, okay if you don't think that the Earth I is flat. Yeah, I, uh, the, or that the, the moon yeah. is fake. You know what I mean? You can't fault someone. That's the thing I was going to say because you see, some of the feedback in the crow forum was that, or in the crow comments was that we weren't, you know, on board. It's oh. like, you know, you can't be expected. It's not my, or it's not our listeners. Cause you don't need to be expected to be on board with the moon being fake. You know what I mean? But we weren't, we weren't against them either. I mean, no, we were pretty, like, all, we let, you know we let I mean? the yeah. guests talk. I mean, yeah. So you're, we are back to the wonder of whether you should challenge. I think it's possible the moon's the fake. You should challenge the guests. Absolutely. So no, I, think, I I don't know. I mean, a certain no, amount maybe, but I don't, I don't no, like to. We're uh, just a portal. It's up to the listener to decide. Yeah. Mm. You don't want me to start challenging people. Maybe mm. on some things. I mean, we have a little bit, but yeah, that's not really what we're about. Speaking <clears throat> about challenging. Well, yeah, you finally fucking caught me off guard. Excuse my language. Because <laughs> I had one in my phone off the usual, uh, my usual format here. All right. So this is the weekly UFO quote. And he interrupted my segment because I still had something to read about the moon. Oops. Jesus. I have said in passing, there is information about UFOs in Cablegate. And that is true. But these are only small passing references. Most of the material concerned concerns UFO cults and their behavior in recruiting people. For instance, there is quite a large cable 
which we'll try and release in the next few days concerning the Raelians, a UFO cult which has a strong cult? presence in Canada and was of concern oh. to the U.S. ambassador in Canada. And that's from uh, Julian Assange. Oh, Julian Assange. So cable would be a stretch of documents, I guess? Yeah, 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 cable, the cable gate, the cable thing, then he released all those cables, right? I guess cable would be a stretch of documents, yeah. So you really think that the, the, the Canadian government is worried about the aliens? No, the U.S. ambassador is worried about the can and worried about Canada jump. Like, do you remember when we had her on from the aliens? Yeah, and yeah. They, yeah. they were actually them. about to get approval to fucking make a UFO landing pad, and I bet you that U.S. ambassador put his fucking. Oh, the ambassador was the one. Yeah, he he oh, kiboshed yeah. the whole thing. I bet. <clears throat> yeah, sure. Son of a bitch. Obviously, you didn't listen to the show. He wouldn't. Have, <laughs> he he wouldn't have kiboshed it. Well, do you want to do your last moon feedback? Sure, man. Thanks. Yeah. So I came across this uh, <laughs> article that I had saved in my voice stream app, and it's actually about uh, the moon and Isaac Asimov. It's kind of interesting, so I figured we'll, I'll read it out because uh, it's on topic here. So Isaac Asimov suggested a long time ago that the moon is not a natural astral body. Mm. All independent studies after since backed Asimov's calculations, and it was proven beyond any reasonable doubt that the gravitational features of our moon are not just abnormal. They are the exact numbers required so that the moon does not escape from Earth's gravity and be pulled towards the sun, as it should be, according to the law of universal gravitation. Taking under consideration the hundreds of unnatural phenomena that happen on the surface of the moon that NASA never bothered to reveal to the general NASA. public, but have nevertheless been observed for centuries by independent observers. It may be observed, it may be assumed, sorry, that the moon is a constructed spacecraft and not a normal astral body. To mention but a few of these observations, the moon is older than the Earth. Carbon dating shows the Earth at 4.6 billion years and the moon at 5.3. The mm. <clears throat> I, now I, I I don't know about about uh, yeah, you know, how, how accurate, this, accurate this yeah, is, by but, now. but yeah. it's just this, to speculate, and it's interesting while we're talking yeah. about it. The dust yeah. around the moon that is supposed to have come from weathering and the breakup of rocks on the moon's surface has a chemical composition that does not match the composition of the rocks on the moon itself. The dust itself is another billion years older than the moon. While the moon has no magnetic field, moon rocks are magnetized. There is evidence that the moon craters were created through internal procedures, but the moon has never been hot enough to create volcanoes. The moon is hollow. The surface metals are heavier than the metals in the core. Usually the light metals are found on the surface and the heavier ones closer to the core. The surface metals are composed of 80% titanium. That much titanium does not exist in the entire planet Earth. There is seismic activity on the moon without corresponding meteor strikes or movement of tectonic plates. In fact, there was observation of eruptions with a lettuce. With, with a lettuce. This is lettuce, man. What are you making a Luna sandwich over there? <laughs> In fact, there was observation of eruptions with a reddish glow, precisely identical and repeated, moving the moon closer to Earth. Nikolai. Koizarev in 1958, the Lowell Observatory in 1963. Does this look like thruster firing to anyone? Related, who parked the moon in perfect circular orbit around the Earth? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the, the above, along with the myriads of other instances, seem to indicate that the moon has been placed in Earth's orbit not by an act of random chance, or nature, or a result of the application of any laws of astrophysics. A theory that the moon was placed there as a shield for the Earth from meteorites has been depicted. Let's accept this as a fact. Mm -hmm. By whom? By God? A weird space warp incident? Let's not focus in the shield part. Let's focus on it was placed there fact. What the fuck did you just say? <clears throat> Let's not focus on the shield, like that it was placed there as yeah. a shield. Let's focus on that it was placed there, a fact. I asked so the theory, a long time ago. That's what I say. Yeah, so the theory accepts that someone placed the moon where it is, making the debate focus on the purpose. Based on certain facts, there have been theories stipulated in various timelines which support the concept that our entire planet was created as a sort of prison. According to one theory, it is a prison for the observation of our species. For another theory, it's a spiritual prison. Anyways, I won't go on much no, more. Let's, but... let's wrap it up. <laughs> but that's a pretty interesting, interesting stuff to Listen think to about. Listen to your fucking paper crackling over there. Like, this is a problem. What? Paper? Yes, paper in 2015. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I never used to, but this, you know, I, I can't do everything with one laptop here. There's just yeah, too many tabs open and all that. Maybe you could do maybe you could do email on the Kindle. Uh, no. So anyways, I'll I'll try to get rid of the paper. I see oh, the moon no. was put there by us a long, long time. Well, ago. Us like as in uh, ancient well, civilizations like yeah. Atlanteans or to stir, up, even. to stir up the oceans. Oh yeah, I like that. You made that comment. That would in, be uh, millions and millions of years ago. No. Twenty five thousand. Oh. Are you saying that th they put it there to bring us out of the ice age? Maybe. Ooh. <laughs> Listen to it was to lure in those comets to hit the ice. Listen to Red Sigh. Hey, can we, uh, do you got any feedback? I want an excuse to play some jingles. Yeah, man. I have uh, an astral projection story and a, uh, Ooh, right. And a uh, synchronicity kind of story. I don't have any trip reports. So this is from Alan. <clears throat> I hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoy your show. It happened this morning. Here's some background data to make this synchronicity understandable, or at least enjoyable. The movie Multiplicity plays a part because the fourth iteration of Michael Keaton's character, Doug, keeps calling him, and thus himself, Steve. Second background tidbit. <laughs> I had a movie idea where little synchronicities are dropped throughout the movie without even being in the storyline, like the photo of the cop on the 7-Eleven window suggesting you not shoplift is a photo of the person behind the counter. But the movie doesn't draw attention to this. Anyway, while coming back from my ritual breakfast on Sunday, I saw a jacked-up four-wheel drive white F-150 in a driveway and thought, that's not Steve. I said this in my mind because, like the fourth Doug, would have said, hi, Steve, or I like pizza. Also, I have a friend that drives a jacked-up four-wheel drive white F-150 whose name is Steve. So these two data points, the Multiplicity Steve and the F-150 Steve, click together to give me this idea. A third character in my Synchronicity movie that tags along with the main characters and says, and only says, that's not Steve, every now and then. And then out of the blue, at various things or situations. So now I'm driving along early Sunday morning, looking around and saying out loud, that's not Steve, at various things like 
old metal bed frame discarded along the road and laughing out loud. After about a mile of this, I see a white truck coming the other way, and before I could say, that's not Steve, there's my friend Steve. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I like it. And it reminds me of that, that time. Did you, did I, do you remember that story when I told you about me and my buddy driving by a guy and saying, hey, that looks like so-and-so, and then yeah, 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 the yeah, next yeah. car comes by and it is so-and-so? We yeah, both fucking flipped out. Wants to hear it. <laughs> no, yeah, I don't. Was that? Am I supposed to rate that? I can't rate that. Why not? No. Well, he just said he was driving all over town, saying that's not Steve. And then so. Steve pulled up. How big's How town? Big is your town? <laughs> nice red. Red's on board. It's a four. Oh <laughs> uh, no, oh, no, that's I'm not. it's a five and a half. It's kind Minus of a ripple two. stick in a way. It's kind of a ripple stick more than a synchronicity. Oh, we need a ripple stick. Yeah, but it's a ripple stick, but you're just throwing rocks in the water all over the place. For the record, I really like that movie, Multiplicity, with Michael Keaton. I don't think I flip in the paper. I don't think I've seen it actually. Oh, you should, you should really see it. This okay. Is, well, I'm gonna play oh, the jingles it. anyway. Well, I've got an astral travel jingle. Don't didn't you get an OBE one? Yeah, this one's well, that's lucid the same dreaming. Thing. One kind of works for all sorts of stuff. Okay. Okay. Is it real or a dream? What does that even mean? Oh, yeah. so ominous. I like it, buddy. <laughs> so this is from <clears throat> from Donnie, Donnie Z. Or Donnie Z. Donnie Z. <laughs> so as I said, I have a pretty crazy astral projection story that happened to me a couple years back. I've always had the ability to lucid dream and the ability to control almost all my dreams. I never knew about astral projection, though, until hearing it about on Coast to Coast and doing some research into it. Hearing it about? Yeah. One night, I remember laying in bed with my dog and my girlfriend. The next thing I know, I'm standing in front of my open fridge, no idea how I got there or why. I shut the door and walk back to my room, all a matter of like 50 to 60 feet. I get back to my room. There I am laying in bed. I remember, Uh fuck, I died. And feeling bad for my chick. (laughs) I leaned up against the door and I swung it a little, waking my dog and looking over. He looked confused as he looked at me in the door. Then me in the bed. My Oh, I see what's going on here. My dog is very trained, so thinking I was dead, I decided to call him over. He looked at the doorway, then back at me in the bed, and then to the door. Mm. (laughs) I called him a second time, and he got up and jumped off the bed and came over to me. I told him to heal, which puts him on my left-hand side, facing the same direction as me, then told Mm -hmm. him to sit and stay. I walked over the bed where I was laying. I looked at myself for a second, and I could see I was still breathing. I was somewhat relieved, but still confused. I sit on the bed, tell my dog stay one last time, and lay back into myself. I immediately had the dream that I was falling off something, then jerked myself awake. When I woke up and looked at my dog... He was chilling in the doorway where I had just been, and I called him over and told him to sit and stay. Mm, it blew my so mind, weird. and I haven't really had an astral projection since, but I'd like to do it again. So it's interesting because in a lot of near-death experiences, the people who claim to see themselves, you know, uh, detached from their bodies, and they see themselves, you know, they, they see their bodies uh, underneath them, Instead, instead of feeling some kind of uh, anxiety or whatever, 
they instead report feeling this this feeling of peacefulness, you know, about the fact, okay, so I died, you know, they don't feel this kind of, oh my God, I'm de- my, my, my dead body is over there and whatever. So I don't know. So maybe there's something with the people who have crossed some kind of threshold or barrier where they have left, lost this kind of um, attachment or worry about their physical bodies yeah, so yeah. mm. kind of like because you're pure spirit at that point or whatever yeah exactly you know, i don't know it's i love cool how the story. dog i love how the dog like i wonder what the dog sees yeah like what is, is it like a, a translucent image or is it just an energy signature or is it uh, a full-blown image of what the dog sees like he's looking back and forth going why is there two of you here all of a sudden like who knows Difficult interview there, dog, you know. <laughs> My dog wouldn't have much to say. Oh. <laughs> Fucking idiot. Both of them. Oh man. Pretty much. Oh. Anything else? In your bag yeah. of tricks. Yeah, man. I got <clears throat> I got some feedback. We want I I feel totally humbled and uh and and uh what was I gonna say those? I'm a rambling gram with synchronicities all over the web. That could be like the clothes. I'm skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet. That like closes out the, the experiences. Oh, okay, okay. The awkwardness. Okay, I just, okay like, so I just like playing that jingle. I know, it's a nice jingle. Yeah, I know. It's my favorite one. But no, I, I appreciate people sending us iTunes reviews and reviewing us on iTunes. It really helps. And, and it's been honestly humbling. And, and um, I feel blessed that people take the time and most of the reviews are really good. And I, I don't like uh, mm. reading them. I feel weird reading them. <clears throat> um, but I, I will read this because it kind of describes our podcast from a guest point of view. And I think he's kind of hitting the nail on the head. So if people are new to listening or whatever, this is kind of a cool read. Uh, review so this is from marco he says the best best podcast ever in the three weeks since i've stumbled across this podcast on twitter it has become my absolute favorite in a world where snark and jockeying for attention have become the name of the game it is so refreshing to discover sincere intelligent hosts like graham dunlop and darren grimes these two let their guests navigate the conversation remaining steadfastly objective and allowing the listener the freedom to reserve judgment for themselves it's honestly liberating to not be preached at and told what you should be thinking at every turn. The hosts balance one another brilliantly. Darren is the ever cautious skeptic while Graham approaches the world with wide eyed wonder displaying a sort of curiosity and interest. Most, most of us are shamed out of far too young. Darren's thinking Ray from Ghostbusters right now. I think. <laughs> Rainus. <laughs> oh, so each episode opens with playful, playful banter between the two introducing the guests and reading listener submissions while some reviewers go have downed this portion preferring to fast forward through it i've come to really appreciate these ramblings in them there's a healthy amount of respect for grammarica listeners who really drive this first leg of the journey these boys give back to their audience in a big way reading listener synchronicities personal psychedelic experiences and other interesting tidbits that find their way into Graham's spam box. That's G-R-A-H-A-M at GrahamAmerica.com for those of you who want to spam me. 
It's a friendly welcome to the show that feels like sitting down with a beer with the boys rather than some self-indulgent indulgent dictant. Dictant? <laughs> What's Who more... Are you calling a dictant? <laughs> dictate. What's more, this podcast is 100% free, having adopted a value-for-value value model. There is no charge for the content. Just click the link and listen. The boys are in this to share knowledge with their listeners, not turn a quick buck. Just another example how Grimerica gives back to its fans. Guests run the full gamut. One week you might tune in and be submerged into an ayahuasca healing journey, and the next week your mind will be challenged by the nuances of sacred geometry. What's more, there's a hearty helping of episodes in the archives, so if you find yourself being addicted, like me, you won't have to wait. At the close of each show, you'll be treated to more rollicking banter as Darren Graham wrap things up <laughs> and prepare you for next week's adventure. Thank you both for putting on a show like this out on the internet and keeping it 100% free. So, wow. Thanks, Marco. Oh, wow. Thank you very yeah. much, sir. And yeah. uh, speaking of that, we do we do accept donations gratefully, though, because it helps us pay for the bills here because it's really, it's turning into a monthly expense that we didn't really expect. And, of course, we just bought some new gear, and we want to thank people for donating and helping yeah, the show out. Yeah, hopefully the audio. I don't know if I've got, it might take a couple uh, episodes. It looks like everything's working properly. Sure looks sexy, eh? Yeah, it's, it's nice. Yeah. So it looks like everything's working properly. I'm not too worried about it, but it might take a couple episodes to get everything really ironed out. But in the next couple of weeks, you should really notice a difference in the You audio. say it looks, like, it looks sexy, but how is someone listening from his iPod will, will be can. able to see it? They can also so post, maybe I could tweet a picture of a... Yeah, that's what you should do. There you go. So we also want to thank like Jackson for reviewing and Wema, and there's just some people there. T, T-Man, LD13, Dixie, Irish Boston, Ball Doyle, Slee Stack, Slee Stack, Ponce 27, Spade 23, Kerman 81, Kirkman 81, that is. Lonely Boy 16. So thanks for the reviews, guys. AZ Mountain Man. Really, really appreciate it. Yippers. Do we thank some people? Yeah, man. Let's Help do it. pay for our new mixer. Yeah. Uh, we... And just so you know, we're not just upgrading for the hell of it. The new mixer gives us way more capabilities. Yeah, we had outgrown our other one a long time ago, really. Yeah. And it's increasing the quality, I believe. Better. Mm-hmm. So we got the line of G, buddy Justin, Douglas C, Trevor R, buddy John Jack, John Jack C, Stephen W, Nick Niels, no, Niels V, Alex DeCaris, Jeff D, Adam H, I don't know why I said his last name, whoops, Bleep, Charity C, Dave Z, William L, Kurt Van W. I like that one. Pat O, Daniel W, Carol B, Matt S, Joshua D, Matthew D, Mark H, Joel V, Todd JM, Larry K, Jason M, Anthony V, Nikki B, Lane G, Greg D, Leon L, Victor L, uh, David B, Take Back the Farm, Mike O, <laughs> Paul N, 
Daniel W. Did I already say those? Eric L. Aaron P. Thomas B. Mark D. George C. Scott. <laughs> what? I was laughing because George C.'s last name kind of almost looks like... Uh, what was George's last name from Seinfeld? Costanza? Costanza, yeah. It looks like it's like close to that. Maybe he's Nikki B. Patricia L. Ryan S. Our buddy Ryan S. from Winnipeg. Yeah, I think we own the shirt. Bigger shirt. Yeah. He's got to send the smaller one back, though. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, buddy. You can keep it. Uh, I think that's, uh, oh, and Gary K and Brad W and Justin E Thomas S. Wow. Thanks. Thanks everybody for contributing. That was two months worth because we were behind. Yeah. We, we've been meaning to read that out in a, you know, for a while now. We might do that weekly. I'm not sure yet or monthly, <clears throat> yeah. but we want to thank you. And then also just about the emails and stuff. We always, and Wayne, of course. And Wayne. Yeah. Wayne Darnell, new website. Thank new you website so much. Looks good. It's still under um, a couple tweaks to iron out, but it looks great. It looks fucking works it's great on mobile. Too. It's so much smoother. Yes, it does. And that's kind of how our value for value model works around here. Yeah, and I just want to free. And I just want to say too, not only just contributing money, but like leaving reviews and uh, and emailing guest suggestions and stuff like that, or leaving a voicemail on the show. There's all different ways to contribute, but. Uh, I do want to say we do read all the emails, but honestly, some of them slip through the cracks and even like guests that, uh, that email to come on. Like if, uh, if you're listening to, and we haven't got back to you, it's just, we're, we're pretty slammed right now. And some, sometimes they slip through, but we do read everything. What about voicemail? Voicemail. Yeah. There's a yeah. voicemail button. If someone leaves a voicemail, you guys will be willing to. Uh, play it on the show yeah oh yeah for sure we only ever got one from buddy con okay guys Khan so in australia know it you guys want to uh, leave a voicemail so maybe it will be played on some episode yeah if you'd rather do that than send an email by all means yeah and we've got uh, lots of episodes booked coming up. We've got, <clears throat> check out the backstage too for our live uh, live show, like chat. But it's, uh, it's at different times. It could be like late at night. It could be in the evening, on the weekend. We shoot for Tuesdays, but we do have a full April booked, right? Darren, will be, uh, every week we'll be sending out an episode. We have uh, Atomic Rod Adams coming up. And we have uh, the, ganja, <clears throat> the Ganja Drug Kingpin coming up. And another mm-hmm. guy named uh, Garnet. Yeah, that's on the 16th. Yeah. We're on the 16th, the 21st. and <coughs> 16th, 21st, and 28th are our next recordings, but we'll be releasing an episode every, pretty much every Friday, as usual. Hopefully we, one of us won't be sick. It seems like one of us has been sick for like a month now. <laughs> yeah. I know I'm getting sick of it. Sick of being sick? Need a drum roll. Mm-hmm. I thought you had one there. I do, but it doesn't have like the. Yeah, it's not like that mm. kind. So, Red, how about you? Do you got anything uh, you want to talk about? Mm, not really. <laughs> I saw. I did read your big uh, article there on uh, Mysterious Universe. That was pretty cool about the drones. 
oh yeah, there was some kind of something about pet peeve. You know, the idea that nowadays a lot of people want to uh, explain away UFO sightings and uh, saying, oh well, it's, it was probably a drone. You know, one of those drones that are invading our airspace more and more nowadays, you know, and to truth to be told, yes, there's a lot of companies and services that are trying to in- employ uh, UAVs, you know, uh, as a way to, you know, uh, facilitate things that were made otherwise. But I try to say how uh, if to say I don't know, therefore drones is really not really a, a better explanation as saying I don't know, therefore aliens. You know, because of the limited capability capabilities of drones nowadays. You know, uh, more, most commercial drones can can't stay up in the air more than twenty five, fifteen minutes. So, you, so when you mean commercial drones, do you mean? The drones that we buy at the mall, like for people to use personally, or do you mean like more commercial drones that are used by corporations? Or? Well, commercial drones, but I'm saying that the, the drones that are used by maybe uh, television crews or maybe, you know, independent, independent filmmakers or maybe used for some kind of survey on uh, for kind of agricultural data or whatever. And those you know, can only are, stay up that long, too? Yeah, you know, because that is the folly of rotor-based uh, aerial vehicles and also vehicles that are, are using uh, electric batteries. You know, the electric batteries are still very uh, limited in the uh, an, uh, amount of uh, well, an energy that can be delivered. And it, it, it was kind, kind of surprising to see how limited the the flight, air, time. the flight time and also the 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 distance these vehicles can cover uh actually is what so a, what about the ones with anti-gravity technology yeah well that's the problem <laughs> is that when you're going to, to say something like that uh to explain away uh, ufo sightings what I wanted to say is that, well, be aware that you're just switching one unknown with a, with another unknown, right? Yeah. So really, you are not <laughs> you're not really uh, going away from the <laughs> tinfoil hat wearing crowd. <laughs> yeah, I was just kidding, being facetious, but yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah, that's interesting. You look a little facetious. Thanks, buddy. Anytime. Uh, I think, oh. did you have anything else? Yes, I did. <clears throat> Cause, uh, this is coming up pretty soon, but disclosure Canada is on the road and I just want to talk about it quickly. I want to plug it cause Darren and I will be there for sure. Uh, cause it's in Calgary on April 18th. It's in Vancouver, April 19th, but it's also in Toronto and Montreal. And I'm trying to click on the thing and it's not working. Something's not working here. <laughs> All right, all right. <laughs> okay, you got your last jingle in there, buddy. So it's also in Montreal on April 4th and Toronto on April 11th. And it's like an all-day event with Paul Hellier, 
Hellier, Victor Vigiani, Steve Bassett, Richard Dolan, Grant Cameron, and Stan Friedman. They're not all at every one, but there's a bit of a mix of them there. When they come mm. to Calgary, it'll be uh, Paul, Richard, Grant, and Steve. So we're looking forward to seeing that. And it's, I uh, can't believe it kind of snuck up on me there, but yeah, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So hopefully we see some local Albertans. 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 And Martins. maybe some people from BC too. Sure. I <laughs> hmm. think Justin, we should get Justin to drive up for that. That'd be good to see him. A long <laughs> drive. Maybe. That's not that far. Twelve hours, maybe. Yeah, I do not that. Everyone to just likes driving around for the, the weekend. Not a, Not everybody like me likes to do that. Not everyone has a fucking piss jug. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give away any more of my secrets, Darren. <laughs> All right, Red. Well, thanks for joining us again. I think that's about it, eh, Darren? We're gonna get into our chat with uh, John Rappaport. Yeah, this is a good one. Uh, you guys should enjoy it. Uh, thanks to John for coming on the show. Once again, hit up the website, grammerica.ca slash support. Um, uh, spam gram. I guess we could do all this shit in the outro. Enjoy the in- uh, interview. You guys. Hey guys, in Grand America tonight, we are going to be talking with John Rappaport, um, talking about uh, ministries of truth and vaccines and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, I've been trying to get in touch with John for a while, and I think, you know what, I think the problem turned out to be my Grand America email address. Yeah. Because as soon as I sent it from, then here we are a couple weeks later, but I, I'm really looking forward to this one. This, there's a couple subjects here that are pretty, uh, pretty close. So, uh, without further ado, how's it going tonight, buddy? You yeah. looking forward to this? Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing really well. Looking forward to it. We're finally chatting with John and I've heard him on the conspiracy show with Richard Serrett and on THC and other friends, friends of ours. And he's, uh, he's got no more fake news, the real news. <laughs> and, uh, he's written like this collection on the matrix. He's been an investigative reporter for over three decades, basically lecturing all over the U S he's got a huge bio here. I'm not going to read it in depth we can look at that later we'll just chat with him about it and we'll get his uh take on deep politics conspiracies alternative health like darren mentioned definitely vaccines and google's ministry of truth so we're happy to have you here john welcome to the great america show great great to be here thanks so i guess i, I just kind of wanted to start with uh you're you're probably working on all kinds of stuff so i just thought i'd ask you what's new like what are you working on uh these days well, I keep on uh, finding out more about vaccines, of course, so I'm making some notes on that. Uh, but we're seeing a major push. Uh, the biggest push, I guess I could say, in my lifetime 
uh, toward uh, mandatory vaccination and getting everybody lined up to take shots and more shots and more shots. And it's obviously a uh, pre-planned propaganda campaign. Uh, this is not just something spur of the moment. We've got bills introduced in a number of state legislatures in America that would outlaw previously allowed exemptions to vaccines and would basically nail everybody down. And then, of course, you've got the surveillance state coming in behind that to keep records and check up on everybody. And, um, you know, police, medical police state uh, actions is what we're looking at here. Yeah, that's scary. I, I appreciate you just getting into like what's new because things seem to move so fast nowadays in the world. And somebody like yourself who has, you know, you're kind of got your finger on the pulse of some of the bigger, bigger issues that we're facing here. So that's. That's pretty scary. The the medical, like I heard you and, and Greg on the higher side chats talking about, and I hadn't really thought of it like that before, but what a what a way or what a industry to use to uh, put their thumb on us or control us a little bit more. I mean, I don't want to sound too conspiratorial right off the bat, but but through the medical system, you know, all the all the <clears throat> all the pharmaceuticals and all the prescriptions and now all the mandatory vaccines, like basically forcing us to to be following uh, the rules. Well, I predicted this when Obamacare was still being debated in Congress as to whether or not it would pass. And I said, watch out, because up the line, uh, at some point after it passes, you're going to begin to see mandatory aspects of this program. Ah. It's not going to just be, oh, it's wonderful and everybody's covered now and this and that and the other thing. No, that's not the plan at all. The plan is to first get uh, everybody involved, signed up, enrolled, part of the system, and then they track you, they keep records, they share records with other government agencies and other doctors, uh, medical privacy goes out the window. And then when you go in to see a doctor, he looks at your record and he says, well, I see you're not caught up on your vaccines. <laughs> you know, that's part of the program. And you say, well, I'm feeling fine. I don't really feel any need to do that. Well, yes, but, you know, you need protection. That's a protection racket. You know, you need protection. It's like the mafia goes into a candy store and they say you need protection. The guy says, hey, I have been robbed in uh, 20 years. Yeah, but you need protection and we're here to give it to you. So now what are you going to do? Hmm. And this is the compulsory system. So that's what we're seeing. Uh, the next phase of that having to do with vaccines and how much they'll accomplish this time around on making them all mandatory remains to be seen. But it's a progressive operation. They you know, release some kind of phony story about a you know, serious outbreak. This time it was Disneyland and measles and this and so forth. And I've followed these phony epidemics for a long time. And each time they use that as a means to clamp down further on people yeah. and get them more, you know, entrenched in the system. And are we finding that, um, like, I wonder... You've been following this for, for 30 plus years. Was there, I guess, where was the turning point? Like, it seems like vaccines could have always just started out as, 
where they've gotten today. Like at some time, it it must have been about the 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 greater good. Oh, I don't think it was ever about the greater good. I mean, there are people who are true <laughs> believers who who feel that way, including many doctors who can't read their own literature and refuse to look at uh, wider history of vaccination and why so-called infectious diseases really declined in the West to begin with, which had nothing to do with either vaccines or even antibiotics. It had to do with better nutrition and the rise of the middle class and uh, better sanitation and so forth. But there are people who are part of the medical cartel who fully realize that, you know, vaccination is a complete hoax and are, is also very dangerous and they just don't care. Uh, but let's see, as far as a turning point goes, you know, there have been several that I can remember, but somewhere, uh, I'm going to say in the 1970s, the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, began to get really serious about their so-called vaccine schedule of recommended vaccines for all children. And they began expanding this list, you know, significantly since that time with booster shots and so forth. And so I think it's somewhere around 60 shots that a kid is expected to get, you know, in the first few years of life. And uh, so since that time, it's just a question of adding to the schedule. Oh, we've got a new vaccine now. We've got a new combination vaccine now that covers three or four different uh, diseases all in one. And we've got the hepatitis vaccine, all these, you know, they're adding all the time. And they're not finished. I mean, this is just in midstream here. They keep on adding them. But now the propaganda has uh, risen to a point where you will hear people say, on uh, news talk shows and so forth. You mean vaccines aren't already mandatory for everybody? (laughs) I mean, that's how far they've gotten with this. So it's really a, it's a growing part of the population, but it's still not big enough that realizes what's really going on here. Yeah, it seems like they have, it seems like they have the public still, you know, under control. I mean, I even hear of, I heard somebody in the UK talking about a, and a study that came out about the flu vaccine there that I think it was last year's flu vaccine or something. You'll, you'll probably know this more than I do about, I think it was 4% successful. And they had said that uh, more people had give, given away the flu and got the flu since they had the vaccine compared to the people that didn't. And yet you'll never hear that in the mainstream media. Like Exactly. I've got so many facts and figures on hoaxes and so forth. For example, uh, Peter Doshi, a PhD who's now uh, a professor at an Eastern University, wrote a study about the flu, I'm going to say maybe six years ago in the British Medical Journal Online. And he was looking at the CDC's own statistics. So for the year 2001, for example, and this was at a time when the CDC was putting out this canned figure that every year uh, there are 36,000 
deaths from flu in the United States, you know, like clockwork, they kept putting out that figure. So he found a category called flu plus pneumonia, 62,000 deaths. But when you separated the flu from the pneumonia, you got something like, I'm going to say, 1,500 flu deaths for the whole year. And then when you actually began to break down the number of those flu deaths where the flu virus was positively identified in the patient, it turned out to be 18 cases. So, I mean, this is stuff that people don't even believe. They say that's impossible. But there you have it. And uh, just to give you another one, in the summer of the fall of 2009, Cheryl Atkinson, who was working at the time at CBS as their star investigative reporter, wrote a piece for a CBS website that stated that the CDC, which is responsible for counting all cases of diseases in the United States had stopped counting swine flu cases in America in July of 2009, which she thought was very strange. And she started investigating and found out the reason. And the reason was that the overwhelming number of blood samples from these patients, uh, likely swine flu patients that had been sent to labs, came back with no sign of swine flu or any kind of flu. So this was an incredible embarrassment to the CDC. They couldn't admit this. So they just stopped counting. And they said there are, you know, at that time, I think they were saying something like 10,000 cases of swine flu in the U.S. And they said, and the number is increasing and so on and so forth. So. Two, three weeks after Cheryl Atkinson writes this explosive report at CBS News, the CDC announces their estimate of the number of swine flu cases in America is 22 million. 20 almost 10%. Million. Yeah, exactly. When in fact they had no evidence, virtually no evidence for any swine flu in America which is why they stopped counting cases, because in order to say somebody has swine flu, you run a diagnostic test. You send a blood sample to a lab, and all the blood samples, or the overwhelming number of them, came back with no sign of swine flu or any kind of swine flu. So on that basis, the CDC said there's 22 million cases of swine flu in America. And there's even more to the story, because. Uh, Cheryl, I interviewed her, published the interview at the time. She was trying to get her story onto the CBS Evening News television up to that time that it just appeared on the website. And she had an editor behind her who said, this is really an original story. It's a great story, and we want to get it on the news. And all of a sudden, this wall went up. And no matter what they did, they could not get the story on the news. And she was shut down at CBS from reporting further on this story because that was just the beginning of the story. The second story would have been 
how the hell did the CDC allow this to happen? Why are they lying? Who at the CDC is lying? And, uh, you know, go from there. Shut down completely. Hmm. Can you give us an idea of, of how that wall, like that whole shutting down process would work? Well, normally it works because the reporter knows not to report yeah. on a certain story. But yeah. when the reporter crosses the line, and has an editor behind her, then you're now talking about <clears throat> uh, the top editors at, in this case, at CBS News. Maybe the anchor of the nightly news at CBS, who at the time would have been not sure. I don't think it was Scott Pelley, Katie Kirk. I don't know. I don't know who the managing editor was at the time of the evening news. And even from the executive suite, way above the editors, the word could have come down. Stop the story. This is uh, bad reporting or this isn't a story for us or we don't want to cover this or whatever the reason given. And the word would have come down in that case from a senior executive at CBS to a senior editor at CBS News, down to another editor, down to Cheryl. Mm. And nobody would really know why or how it was shut down, least of all her, the reporter. But I also have to say that Sumner Redstone, who at the time was the chairman of Viacom that owns CBS, he has donated significant amounts of money to uh, foundations that are very involved with vaccination. <laughs> so it could have even come from him. Yeah. Some friend of his could have called him up and said, hey, somebody, you see what's happening here? What are you doing over there at CBS? You people have gone crazy. You're making out the CDC to be a Mickey Mouse operation that's covering things up and uh, it's scaring people away from getting vaccinated. That's a familiar reason for not covering these stories. Well, from time to time, untoward things happen. But if we publicize this sort of thing, then all kinds of people are going to jump on the bandwagon and people are going to get scared of getting vaccinated or think they don't need to. And that's going to be counterproductive to the whole medical operation and more people are going to get sick in the long run. So let's cover this up for the greater good. That's for a familiar tune. So this is obviously indicative of, of what's going on. That's probably one really good example of something that happens regularly whenever, you know, anything against the mainstream paradigm comes up. And it's just frustrating because you have the scientific community, like the mainstream scientific and academic community, and most of the public just saying, um, just, listening to this garbage over and over without even questioning it. Yeah. So how do you, what's well, the see, next step for us then? Well, from my perspective, let me just say, my only problem <clears throat> is getting people who read my articles to believe that the scandals that I'm uncovering, a couple of which I just related to you, mm -hmm. are even possible. because. It seems so staggering that this could happen, this kind of thing. You know, virtually no confirmed cases of swine flu turn into 
22 million cases. You know, that that's for a lot of people, they just can't compute that. They say, you know, why? Then no, this couldn't be. That would just be too crazy to believe. See, I'll give you another example. Um, <clears throat> July 26, 2000, Journal of the American Medical Association. The author is Dr. Barbara Starfield, who at the time was a revered public health expert at the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. So everybody's credentials up and down the line are completely mainstream, meticulous, whatever. And she publishes, excuse me, <clears throat> a review called, Is U.S. Health Really the Best in the World? And her conclusion is every year in the United States, the medical system kills, kills 225,000 people. That means per decade, 2.25 million deaths. Does that include prescription drugs? Oh, yeah. She breaks it down. 106,000 per year deaths from correctly prescribed pharmaceutical drugs and 119,000 people who are killed through mistreatment or errors in hospitals. You add those two together, you get 225,000 people. In fact, you can go to a web page if you go on a search engine like Google and just Google FDA, why learn about adverse drug effects? And you'll see that the FDA admits in bold capital letters that 100,000 people per, per year die from prescription drugs. Well, the only thing missing from that <laughs> is the FDA taking any responsibility because they are the one agency in the government that is tasked with approving all medical drugs as safe and effective before they're released for public use. So this is known that the medical system oh, it even says over 2 million adverse drug reactions yearly that's right and that's serious reactions we're talking about not including the deaths the 100,000 deaths that's like 1 in 200 people or so or 1 in 250 yeah. people is affected negatively by prescription drugs right there you go so that now doesn't even include the like street junkies no <laughs> that are selling prescription drugs and, you know because they do we're talking about medical drugs here. Okay, so start thinking about this. From the deaths, the 225,000 a year, and from the 2.1 million severe adverse reactions to drugs, and from the maiming and that happens in hospitals where the people don't die, but they're severely injured and so forth. Now look at their families, their friends, their coworkers, their relatives, all the turmoil and the angst and the suffering and the confusion that surround each one of these people that totally sucks in everybody else because what else is going to happen? You know, my uncle, Bob, my favorite uncle, just died from taking a prescription drug. I mean, and here comes the funeral and here comes all the people and the family and my God, what happened and the doctors denying it and this and that. So consider all the, aside from the death and destruction, all the turmoil that is set up across the country among millions, untold millions of people on a continuous basis. And now you begin to see why people can't think straight and they can't see what 
governments and big corporations are doing to them, and they don't understand what's going on with the country and why it's turning in a horrendously negative direction. They can't even think about these things because they're so preoccupied with what's happening on the medical front. Yeah, and then there's also the people that don't report their side effects. I mean, how many people think they're high, like they don't maybe correlate their new new uh, negative effects with uh, what they're taking? Or then there's also, I mean, not to get too out there, but the placebo, like shit, right? Too well, right, like then there's suicides. Yeah, that's not that's probably not even included as an adverse drug reaction. Right, and neither are vaccine reactions in that figure. Vaccines are not even part of that study. So what do you, so, what would you, so you don't think like, what about like things like tetanus shots and things like that? Are they, is there any, any good to them or in your opinion, are these all, none of this shit is a good idea? Okay. I'm speaking as a reporter here. I just want to make this very clear. I'm not giving people medical advice. They make up their own minds, but in my view, from my experience and research and so forth, I don't believe in vaccination at all, period. Okay. I don't believe that it was ever a good thing, that it was ever necessary, that it was ever safe, that it was ever effective at doing what it's supposed to be doing, and that what people really have to do in order to stay healthy is build up their own immune systems. And that is not a job that has anything to do with the medical cartel. That's a non medical. Uh, you know, process. Yeah, that's so not a medical process. It almost seems like, in a sense, like that. This could be one of those big blunders that you look back in history of, like when <laughs> you know you, you see these these fucking people that are putting those rings on their neck and stretching their neck or elongating their heads, and it's it just seems yeah. like it's playing, like a modern example like, of that. Well, it's like playing God. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like thinking we already know. One hundred and fifty years into our little revo- industrial revolution, we think we can just start injecting drugs into everyone because we've got it all figured out. And I, I don't know. I mean, I haven't even got laser eye surgery yet because I don't think that's been around long enough for me to know. And it's funny because we listen to mysterious universe and you hear Aaron talking about his chronic fucking dry eye syndrome because yeah. of his laser eye surgery he got 10 years ago. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I think yeah. it's more of a, more of like when Darren's talking about looking back at this big pharmaceutical blunder, I mean, how many other blunders are tied to the same corruption at the highest level? Like, I think that's what's going to come out, Darren. It'll be like, when you look back in history in a hundred years from now, it'll be like the corruption was unprecedented in the, at the turn of the 2000, you know, the century in 2000. I mean, it'll be, it'll be something like that. Cause can you give us an example, John, of some of this? Uh, I, I read a book or I read part of a book once and she called the term flexions and it's like these academias and government officials and corporate heads of corporate international corporations, you know, floating back and forth between jobs. So, I mean, I heard you talk once about, you know, the, I think people in, in Merck going back and forth from the government and all these, all this, uh, high level, uh, not, not only corruption, but collusion kind of, can you talk about some of that? Sure. Um, I've been covering not so much recently, but back in the early fall of 2014, a CDC whistleblower named William Thompson came forward out of the blue 
and released a published statement through his whistleblower lawyer, Rick Morgan, stating that in 2004, he and his colleagues at the CDC basically committed fraud in a study that was designed to discover whether there was any connection between the MMR vaccine and autism. And they concluded there was no connection, but they omitted vital data in the study, according to Thompson, and they broke the planned protocol of the study, which you never do, to eliminate a subsection of children where there was a clear connection or correlation between receiving the MMR vaccine and developing autism. And that skewed the whole study. In other words, they gave a free pass to the vaccine when they should have pointed out that indeed it did have a strong suggestion of a connection to autism. That was 2004. The study was published in a prestigious journal called Pediatrics. So what Thompson is basically saying is that he and his co-authors in the study, which include two people named Colleen Boyle and Frank DiStefano, were committing fraud. They were colluding at the CDC to commit fraud. Okay, at the time, the head of the CDC was Dr. Julie Gerberding. And Thompson tried to alert her that he had data suggesting a strong connection between the MMR vaccine and autism, and it was very troubling and sensitive data, and he didn't know what to do with it, and blah, 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 blah. Well, as far as I can tell, she never answered that letter from him. And an appearance by this whistleblower Thompson at that time, 2004, at a major conference on autism where he was going to present this data was canceled. Hmm. Fast forward five years later, Julie Gerberding leaves the CDC as the head of the CDC. She leaves and somewhat later assumes the position of the head of Merck vaccine, <laughs> which manufactures the MMR vaccine. Right? The very vaccine that Thompson is saying they gave a free pass to and thereby committed fraud. And even even that one there, that only fights like what, one one or two strains of the measles? Yeah, I mean, if you want to say that it successfully fights it, uh, which <laughs> I don't, it's measles, mumps, and rubella, which is German measles. Triple vaccine. There's two different versions of it. So, you know, I published that story that I just told you several times. And I get, you know, responses from people who say, wow, holy crap, you know. But there are many people who will read that article by me, and it doesn't even register with them. Yeah. Or they say, no, that couldn't be. Well, I can tell you that. In many other areas besides medical, you get a scandal like the one I just described, and you're going to get major newspapers to start to investigate this to some degree. This is a fantastic story. This is a page one story. Even Drudge 
who pulls in news from everywhere, a major, major story, not a peep, not a single peep, not a single story. This is the kind of investigation, hard-hitting investigation, that newspapers were built for. Because like at the New York Times, they've got the hounds. They've got the hounds they can let loose. They can say, okay, boys, this is why you became a journalist. So go out there and start digging and interviewing doctors and people at the CDC and public health agencies and Merck. Stir it up. Bring out the crooks. Put pressure on. We're going to keep publishing on this. And the rats will come out of the woodwork and they will begin eventually to confess. And then the story will build. They will confess they knew. They will confess that they believe ethically as doctors it was completely wrong that Julie Gerverding put the kibosh on William Thompson and then went on to assume a position at Merck in charge of MMR vaccine. (laughs) They will do all kinds of things and then we'll have new levels of the story and we'll promote this and we'll be putting out two editions a day on the street because people will want to know about this and then we'll print some of it on our website. But the real major big stuff and the details and the scandalous confessions of major medical bureaucrats, we'll put that in the print edition. We'll sell two papers a day. We'll get lots of new advertisers and we'll be back in the black again instead of in the red. But they don't do that because they're already sold out. They're part of the problem. They're linked in with the medical cartel. They are a PR arm, you might say, for the medical cartel. And I know some of these medical reporters and I can tell you that's the case. They lie through their teeth every day, every single day. They lie, they omit the truth, they slant the truth, and they pretend that they're experts. So there is no way that these scandals are going to gain traction by waiting around for major media to cover them. And the solution, the only solution is, first of all, we need more very good investigative reporters online. There are uh, a ex- surprising number of very good ones now. But we need more. We need more websites. We need more pressure. We need more people with eyeballs on those websites. We need the scandal to grow. We need, then what will happen is <clears throat> you'll get people, mothers against the MMR. You'll get a group of mothers that begin to hook up and link up. and have meetings and so forth because they all recognize that their own kids were damaged by the MMR between 2004 when they should have known there was a connection to autism but didn't, and now 2015. And they will begin to scream bloody murder. And this will exert more and more upward pressure. And more and more people will disbelieve major media and desert them and let them go down the toilet where they're already heading. And then we will really enter a a new era of news. What do you think about, uh, well, we're still on the topic of vaccines. What do you think about, uh, because I've heard you talk about um, shedding and I've heard it around here and there, and that's something you'll you'll never hear on the mainstream. Sure. It seems like something that can be really causing. It almost seems like sometimes the parents of unvaccinated children should be more worried you know how they spin it off that 
you know, yep. unvaccinated children are fucking look out because ruining, they're going to ruining the herd. Yeah, you're the gonna, herd they're going to infect your right. kids, but exactly. it very well might be <clears> the other way around. Sure, because vaccinated kids can just spread that that virus and other viruses to anybody. Do you think so that the, you, the, the the like the little how that's kind of poking its head out? Do you think that's like some sort of a almost seems like it could be propaganda to scare you into? You know, if you're on the fence about vaccines, that might be enough to push you over. Push you over into what? Getting vaccinated to protect you from the already vaccinated kids. Oh, oh you think of it that <laughs> oh, way? Like no, it's a complete I, 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 yeah, I mean, that's an interesting idea, but I think, <laughs> I think it's more likely that parents would just back away if they knew the truth. They wouldn't get their kids vaccinated. Yeah, that's an emerging story, and people are beginning to point that out. It's been known for a long time, this idea of shedding the virus. Kid gets vaccinated, he can spread that virus around to all sorts of people. But then in this whole concept of herd immunity, everything is upside down. Because one of the concepts, popular concepts of herd immunity is, well, unvaccinated kids are spreading disease everywhere. To which one could say, well, is your little uh, kitty vaccinated? Well, of course. Then what are you worried about? He's protected, right? Oh, you don't think he really is protected? Then why did you vaccinate him in the first place? You think that because he's protected, that some little kid who isn't protected can spread the virus to him and cause him to get sick? That doesn't make any sense. You realize that, of course, don't you, Mrs. Jones? You're completely stupid. You vaccinated your kid and now you're saying the kid is unprotected. What's the matter with you? You know, have you gone crazy or something? So that is absurd as a description of we need herd immunity. The other part of herd immunity is really a matter of a person's strength of their own immune system, period. And that is if you develop a strong immune system and you keep it healthy, then germs, which, by the way, are everywhere, there's no way to stop germs from traveling, will be warded off by your immune system, because that's what the immune system is built to do, regardless, independent of vaccination, independent of vaccination. The human race wasn't built with a vaccine deficiency that only could be supplied through a vaccination. The human race was built so that over time, people's immune systems developed resistance to certain diseases. And when they didn't, a person would get that disease, have an acute, acute, A-C-U-T-E, acute inflammatory reaction to the disease, throw it off and be immune. Thereafter, that's the way humans are built. That's the whole idea. Vaccination is a insane Johnny come lately that was developed as some preposterous idea. And in the West, it was developed primarily in England where they had outbreaks of smallpox. But what was going on in England? Sewers in the streets fantastic overcrowding, horrendous poverty, severe generation-to-generation malnutrition, 
Yeah, and it was in the middle of that little mini ice age too, wasn't it? So crops were failing and malnourishment and must have played starvation. a huge factor. Sure, of course. All of those things. And when those things began to be remedied, magically people uh, stopped getting so sick and disease rates declined. Back in 1987-88, I did a little bit of research into uh, historical research into smallpox, and I found accounts that contradicted the conventional wisdom. Written, for example, there's a book by an author named Scott Webb, I believe, in 1898, where he compared the rates of smallpox in several different cities in England and discovered that in City A, where there was very little vaccination, the rates of smallpox were low. And in City B, where there was a tremendous push and you know, tremendous rate of vaccination, there were horrendous epidemics and outbreaks of smallpox. So that's not the story that comes down to us, of course. What comes down to us is that Edward Jenner was a hero in developing smallpox vaccine and saved the human race, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, history is always rewritten to favor the people who are in power. Yeah. That's interesting because I've always tried to keep a balanced approach on these types of things and sort of stay in the middle somewhere. So my inclination was that, okay, maybe, maybe it was good back then. Kind of like Darren mentioned at the beginning, there was some sort of, uh, you know, a purpose, a good intention and a purpose. And then it gets, you know, corrupted. And in the end, it just gets out of control sometimes, maybe not even through bad intention, but what I kind of hear you saying is that you don't even buy the science to begin with. You don't buy the science of herd immunity and you don't, by the science of vaccinations even being beneficial from the start. You know, when, when you get into shedding, it almost seems more dangerous, right? Because basically you're putting yeah. traces of these diseases that otherwise never would have fucking been there in the first place, right? Yeah, you're, you're just broadcasting the disease. So why don't they just say that? Uh, let's get vaccinated, everybody, so we can broadcast the disease over a wide area. That's, that's what they're doing. Basically, so you're it's right. almost like I've, a typhoid Mary, but everyone has a possibility of being one. Yeah, right. Be the first typhoid Mary on your block. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, no, I've never bought the whole idea. And as I say, correct history really reveals that the decline of these diseases in the West occurred long before widespread vaccination or the introduction of antibiotics and they occurred uh, the number one reason they incur, uh, occurred the decline was because of improved nutrition but also because society began to build itself up from horrendous conditions mm -hmm. <laughs> on the ground to less horrendous conditions on the ground and then less horrendous. So people now talk about the, the, the gap between the rich and the poor. Are they kidding? Yes, of course there's a gap, especially when you look at money. But you go back in history if you want to see gaps. So-and-so is living on the hill in a very nice house and thousands upon thousands of other people are falling in human feces in the streets. Where That's right, right, out the, right out of Monty Python, the Holy Grail. How do you know he's a king? Because he hasn't got shit all over him. <laughs> exactly. 
Exactly. The overcrowding is horrendous. The poverty is horrendous. The working conditions in factories, horrendous. Children are working in factories, horrendous. Anything you can imagine of a horror story was the gap between the rich and the poor. Maybe we should, I feel like I should say what a typhoid Mary is. Yeah, sure. It's like, uh, she was the first asymptomatic carrier of typhoid, I think, right? So she was spreading it, but she never even knew she had it. Right. And uh, I've never researched that story, but you never know what you might find out if you start looking below the surface on that one, because it certainly benefits promoting the fear. It's all about promoting the fear. These phony epidemics and outbreaks are all about promoting the fear and the medical solution to the fear over and over and over again. It, it does seem like it's part of the bigger picture. Wow, wow, we're 45 minutes in and I feel like we're just scratching the surface. <laughs> because yeah, I know. It like, I mean, it's, it's so fucking close to Orwellian sometimes that it's unbelievable. And and that like brings us to the, the latest piece on well, one of the latest pieces on your website about Google talking about switching over to basically becoming your ministry of truth. Like uh, sometimes it seems like like someone's just bought that book and they're using it as a guide. <laughs> the only difference I would say between the book and what we see happening now is. First of all, we're not yet at the stage that Orwell depicted in the novel in terms of the boot stamping on a face forever, as he put it. But the other difference is PR types, analysts, think tank people who write studies and do surveys and so forth, have settled on the idea of friendly fashion with a smile. (laughs) We're only here to help. All you moms out there, of course you want to vaccinate your precious little doofuses. And you want to protect them from the vile bio-warfare weapon doofuses that are not vaccinated. You know, we want to help you. We're here to save the world, protect humanity. It's more of the organized religious message, but done with a great deal of smiling and so forth. And, And when we warn you, even then, we warn you with a smile. Yes. So you talk about the control, you know, and the fear factor from the beginning, you know, and now it's, it's a fear. The fear porn is getting even worse, I think, in the, in the mainstream. But but what I, I can't seem to wrap my head around even why they need to do that. Like, is it really just so people don't have the absolute freedom they would if they were feeling uh, peaceful and all lovey-dovey? Like, why why the control? Okay, so this is now big picture stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, This goes back, uh, I think, 1987, 88, again, when I was writing my first book, AIDS, Inc., that I began to realize that the objective of the medical cartel, by which I mean doctors, medical societies, medical schools, pharmaceutical companies, public health agencies like the CDC, and so on and so forth. Their objective is to put people into a cradle-to-grave system, medical system, even before the cradle, in the womb. Yeah. And so ideally for them, what would happen is 
every human would be diagnosed during his or her lifetime with maybe 45, 50 different diseases and mental disorders and would receive toxic drugs for each one of these. And those toxic drugs would create new symptoms that would be diagnosed as new disorders and diseases having nothing to do with the drugs. And then more toxic drugs would be supplied. And of course, the vaccinations and on and on and on and on. And you would be enrolled in that system and you would not be able to get out of it. That would be your life. Basically, life as a patient. Now, or customer. As a customer, but you can't not be a customer. Yeah. <laughs> because under the national insurance plan, it eventually gets tighter and tighter and tighter. And within a few years, people could be faced with the prospect of paying, you know, it would vary, but, you know, four or five grand a year not to enroll in Obamacare. And then it even gets tighter as we go into the future because all these systems get tighter. They start off with a big shit-eating grin and eventually it becomes mandatory. So what? let's take the camera back from that cradle-to-grave system. What does that give you if you are uh, one of the top globalists in the world whose ambition is to control the entire population of the planet, politically, economically, in every possible way, so that your blueprint for world management system is going to be running a fairly docile population. The medical cartel is the best weapon you've got. The best weapon you've got. And on top of that, Medical operations, by which I mean operations in the sense of, say, CIA operations, huge medical operations, have the advantage that they do not look as if they are partisan or political at all. They look merely neutral, scientific, under the banner of we're here to help you, and we have the science and the knowledge, so let us do our jobs. Doesn't look like any political party is involved or any special interest or anything of the sort. So it's perfect. Perfect. And I could go further, even, you know, which would get us into a whole different territory. But just to give you a brief uh, nutshell on this, if you look in the third world, People routinely die in the third world because of the very conditions that I described in horrible times in England. Yeah. Generations to generations, starvation, malnutrition, protein calorie malnutrition, absence of electrolytes, chronic diarrhea, all of the things that go along with poverty, extreme poverty. And then you've got wars and you've got multinational corporations stealing the good farmland so people can't grow their own food. It's a takeover from the outside in collusion with local dictators. Multinational corporations want to mine the minerals. They want to set up giant GMO agricultural fields and take away the small farmer. They want to uh, make sure that there are no horrendous revolutions that are going to go on in the meantime. Now, this is a big, big, big operation. 
They want people to be dying of these conditions. Uh, the sewage runs directly into the water supply. All of the environmental conditions that produce dying and death and pain and suffering, they want these to continue because that ensures a docile population during various stages of the takeover. But they need a cover story. They can't just simply say, hey, schmuck, this is what we're doing and nothing is going to stop us. In fact, the CIA is helping us. They are our forward wedge because we, the multinational corporations, are in bed with that. Well, they can't do any of that. So they need one huge, fantastically successful overall cover story to explain away why people are dying all the time in the third world. And that cover story is the greatest cover story in the world, the virus. <laughs> all they have to say is, <clears throat> it's the boo 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 virus, or it's the blah 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 virus, or it's the HIV virus, or it's the Ebola virus, or it's the this, or it's the that virus. And they're covered because they propagandized at the cost of billions of dollars over a very long time to get people to buy into the idea of the invisible, destructive little prick terrorist called the virus that nobody knows where it is, when it's going to strike, and then it could kill you and all of that, see? So when they say it's blah, blah, blah virus, Almost everybody automatically buys that explanation. And I've tracked this time after time. And I could give you chapter and verse on swine flu and on yeah. HIV, Ebola. That almost runs perfectly parallel with when we were talking with John Perkins. About the economic part Economic hitmen and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Sure. It all dovetails in together, but they need cover story. Any intelligence agency makes sure they have a good cover story. And the CDC is a combination PR agency for drugs and vaccines and an intelligence agency for the medical cartel, as well as the World Health Organization is. They are the two primary intelligence organizations for the medical cartel. And it's their job to promote these outbreaks and epidemics and keep the virus percolating as the major cover story that people will buy into. So they can say anytime they want to, anytime they need to explain death and dying anywhere in the world, they can say it's the virus and everybody stands up and salutes. So why, why didn't they hang on to the Ebola one for a little longer? It seemed like it was such a good catch for a while. They were talking about it. Everybody's scared shitless of it. And then was it too many other good polarized stories like uh, global warming got in the way or terrorism again? Like, was that surprising to you that the Ebola story went away so quick? No, I expected that was going to happen. In fact, I predicted it would happen. I predicted early on. I said, at the end of this little episode, some medical bureaucrat is going to stand up and he's going to say thanks to all the heroes oh. that prevented the spread. And we escaped this one by the skin of our teeth. Oh, I see. If it had gone on just a little bit longer, it would have spun out of control. And then we would have had at least a million cases in the United States, blah, 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 blah. The reason that they cut it off 
they so far have always cut them off. It's just standard operating procedure. They try to scare the hell out of you, and then eventually they cut it off. And they just forget about it, and other stories take their place. It's because it's a progressive operation. The objective is, so far at least, I'm not saying that they couldn't try to promote this one into you know, a giant epidemic, a fake epidemic at some point with some virus. They could. But so far, this is a progressive op. The long game. Let's roll out a new one and let's scare people a little bit more so that they'll obey all medical orders that have to do with anything. Vaccines, drugs, diagnoses, mental disorders. It's all part of the same program. You see, it's to gain medical compliance in general for anything under the sun. If your doctor says X, Y, Z, you salute and you say, whatever you say, doc, give me the drugs, whatever I need, I'll do what you say. If you're going to try to enroll eventually the entire population of the planet cradle to grave in a medical, toxic, medical, debilitating system, which is the ultimate objective, you've always got to have something percolating to increase the willingness to comply, because the last thing you want is rebellion in the ranks. And that, in fact, is what happened during the swine flu phony epidemic, largely because of online journalism, I might add. Hmm. What happened was scores of people did not buy into the idea of a threatening epidemic, and they stayed away from the vaccine in droves. And the major media were scared shitless, and the government was scared shitless because they saw what happened there, that they lost. And so they didn't want to have another episode like that. So this time with Ebola, which was really the next one in line, they were a little bit more cautious because they didn't want to overplay their hand. They didn't want to start saying there are 50,000 Ebola cases in America and it's spreading like wildfire and then have come back at them people saying, bullshit, yeah. I don't know anybody that's got Ebola. Or bullshit, my cousin was diagnosed with Ebola, but the reason that he was sick was because somebody gave him a statin drug and he got terribly ill and they said he has Ebola. He doesn't have Ebola. You know, this thing can build, the counter can build to the point where their cover story is exposed. And they didn't want that to happen again. So this one was planned to be scarier than swine flu, but then they pulled back and pretended, you know, it's now time to talk about the measles. 150 cases, we're all going to die, right? I mean, this is a complete absurdity. And they also tuned up the measles phony epidemic to coincide with Disneyland, because if they didn't do that, they would have had no story whatsoever. Well, the CDC is saying there's an outbreak of measles in the United States, uh, and it's very serious this year, 100 cases. 100 cases? Who are you kidding? You know, who cares? Yeah. Uh, let me read about uh, Lady Gaga. Who cares? 
<laughs> but if they say Disneyland, the happiest place in the world where all the moms, the dads take their little ones is suddenly a horror show of destruction and death. Nobody died, but they can say that from measles. Now they got a story. Now they can push that story and now they can start to scare people again. So they just move right along to the next one. Hmm. Anyway, I know our time is up here, but that's basically the short version of what I could give you. So what what about uh, just just a couple seconds here? I got a couple questions. Uh, at the high, looking back at the high level, then of this battle, if you were to look above and see this battle going on, the polarization of, you know, the uh, I don't know the mainstream and the alternate, the people that are sort of looking deeper into the truth of things. It seems to me like I, I, I switch back and forth between being positive about it and then being disappointed and negative about it. It seems. So it seems though that it is speeding up somehow. Um, what would you say like over the last 10, 20 years, you've been looking at this, this for so long in the last 10, 20 years, how it's going or even in the last year or two, if you want. Well, the trend is definitely up in favor of, shall we say, alternative journalism way up, way up from where it used to be. And Correspondingly, the major media have taken a tremendous hit. So on balance, we're winning tremendously. But very recently, I've begun to see more, shall we say, organization put in place on the Internet to try to disparage and discredit certain alternative stories more pressure to call alternative journalists nutcases and crazies. Conspiracy is, theorists, all that. Yes. And, and that's the lightest term. And so that is going to have to be overcome because the powers that be have obviously realized that they've taken some tremendous hits because of the rise of internet journalism. There is no way to deny it. And they don't like that. And so one of their strategies is to hire people to organize operations designed to discredit certain journalists, certain stories that are threatening to the status quo if they are revealed, to call them the ravings of nutcases and so on and so forth. And Although that, that has always been there on the internet, what I perceive is that now it's more organized. Yeah. So that's my take so on they're that. So push, they're pushing back a bit. The internet, oh, yeah. So the internet has helped in a big way, but then on the other hand, it seems like now they're getting ready to push back there too. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. The reason that I'm both disappointed and encouraged is because I think both things are happening paradoxically more people are going to sleep and more people are waking up yeah so you're seeing both sides and you can look at either side whenever you want to <laughs> and feel correspondingly encouraged or disappointed and until google's google's ministry of truth really takes hold then it's going to be much harder for the polarization to happen right the the people that are 
you know, let's just say on our side, and I'm not, you know, saying I'm on a side, but I'm definitely open-minded about lots of things. But but uh, it's going to be harder and harder when Google starts sifting through uh, hmm, the internet and coming up with their version of the truth. Right. Especially if other uh, search engines follow suit. Other big search. Have a hell of a time finding Grand America. Have you heard of that? <laughs> Have you heard of other ones following suit? No, I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me. Because does Google want to be caught with their pants down? Suppose Google really puts into effect this ministry of truth, and now it's ranking websites according to their version of the degree of true facts in the articles on a particular website. That's the idea. They're going to rank them and rate them based upon this stupid concept that they have. It sounds like something out of a cartoon called the knowledge vault, which <laughs> is all the facts that they have scooped up off the Internet about everything, which is everything. And they are they've got algorithms to sift through that, so forth and so on. So, for example, in a story about vaccines you might suddenly discover that the first two pages or three pages of websites about vaccines are all pro-vaccine because Google can say, we've discovered that the basic consensus across the internet is that vaccines are good. Therefore, that's how we're ranking websites about vaccines. And therefore, the ones who are anti-vaccine or critical of vaccines will be down on page 12 of any search which will virtually eliminate them from people who are using search engines. That's but, scary. So if they were to do that, Google, but then let's say that Bing or some other big search engine said, no, we're not going to do that. We're just ranking on popularity. Well, people, lots of people are going to opt for popularity because how did these anti-vaccine websites get so popular? They got popular because lots of people are reading them, lots of eyeballs. And those people are going to shift over and search for their information on Bing. And there's a whole lot of those people. So Google would take it in the pants if they were the only big search engine to do this kind of thing. But what I see emerging out of all of this is, let's say that Google goes forward with their plan and other search engines do as well. What we're going to see is people like me are going to have to, as has always been the case with me from the beginning, 13 years ago or so when I started, no more fake news. <clears throat> I get my readers because I put everything I possibly can into writing the truth as I can discover it. That's why people want to read my articles. And those people pass the articles on to other people. And so the majority of people who come to my website and read my articles are there not because they found me on a search engine. Yeah. So yeah. that method, you might say, or that approach is going to become even more important to <clears throat> websites and programs like yours who want to expose the truth. We're going to have to make a bigger effort, a more intense effort to get it out there and to get people to consider what we're saying. 
And then people will simply, more and more of them, bypass search engines and go for where they think the truth is, which in the long, long run is going to be okay. That's the beauty of alternative media, I think, is it seems like that is where it's the tip of the spear is for us, is it's on the word of mouth. You bet. You know, no one's doing any advertising. No one's getting, you know, maybe the odd person finds you in iTunes or something like that. But for the most part, it's because somebody told you about something or, or something along those lines. Um, I suppose we're running out of time. Yeah, um, I got to go now. Uh, one thing I, before we, we, before we let you go, I gotta, I gotta thank you for doing it. It's, it's gotta be at times it must seem like a pretty thankless job. Um, like, I, I'm curious to wonder, like, obviously you've got a ton of readers. Like what, what's the feedback like? Is it, is it overwhelmingly good? Do you get a lot of, you know, debunkers and people like this going at you or, or it's overwhelmingly good. Wow. And the debunkers, uh, I just ignore the, in fact, when I find the debunkers, I can recognize them when they keep trying to come back. And I just ignore them. So if I paid a lot of attention to that, I could find it. If I began to search the web meticulously, just to, to put myself into you know a deep depression, I suppose, or whatever. <laughs> I could find all sorts of people who say that I'm way off the mark or crazy or I'm trying to destroy the world, whatever. You know. uh, but I don't care. I didn't get into this for that reason. It's, it's like uh, it, it makes you stronger. It makes you stronger. At yeah, first... Good. At first you say, gee, I don't know. I don't like all this. And after a while you say, that's the way it goes. You know, some people are just, they're going to do it no matter what. Rambling because they, they think they can. Yeah. And uh, I just keep going. That's it. Well, thanks. Thanks a bunch for joining us here tonight, John. Before we let you go, where can our listeners track you down? Are you on the Twitter and the Facebook and all those fun places? Yeah. And you can get to all of that through nomorefakenews.com that gets you all my articles, it gets you to my blog you can sign up for my free email list, you can read about my matrix collections and see what that's all about, so just come to nomorefakenews.com great, thanks a lot well, thanks guys, it was great, oh, man the time just flew, oh it's very yeah, yeah, we'll have, <laughs> very fast, we'll have to come you back that's the thing about, we find in the igloo, time travels about three or four times normal <laughs> Okay. Thanks again. Okay. Bye, yeah. John. Thanks, John. Welcome back to the Grammaric Show. That was our chat with John Rappaport of nomorefakenews.com. Yeah, that was a good one. We've been, we were trying to get John on the show for a while. Uh, 
Actually, I think it was a Twitter campaign. We had a bunch of people tweet them. Yeah, I've, I've heard retweet or tweet at or favorite the tweet that uh, we tweeted at, and it was enough to get noticed by his producer. Oh, that's cool. Oh, he has a producer. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Mm. we were, we had a producer. But we haven't seen him around in a while. <laughs> <laughs> producer chair sits empty. So we have Red Pill Junkie here still with us. He's been here all night, and. Uh, no. Darren, what'd you think about you've been wanting to get into this vaccine thing for a while? Yeah, no, it was it was good. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. Did did it did it blow your way a little bit that he went to that far of an extreme to say that like really most of these vaccines are not even needed? Like they're not like basically we could just be healthy. That's kind of like them, that's that, kind of the, where I was with it anyway. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? That. I kind of nope. looked looked at, uh, like, I think there's a lot more to where we are today other than that, you know what I mean? Like hygiene and, and everything else. But Did you guys read about this news, about this new virus that is paralyzing children in California? Like a new, like, I don't know, version of polio? No, I haven't heard that. Well, maybe you should. What's your point? <laughs> My point is that there's there's a lot of viruses, you know, in the world. Like, you know, maybe vaccines are not the, the demons that we, uh, some people are trying to, to, to make out of. Maybe that's how we become the greys. The grays what? in the future? Two, yeah, vac two vaccines? Yeah. It would be over, over, over vaccinated. Mm. Yeah, but then again, the grays are the ones who are with, with the UFOs and the, you know, the, the craft that can traverse time and space. So and no maybe. genitals. <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. I, I know what you mean, Rad, but it's hard to say what, uh, what causes what, right? What comes first, right? We've got all these chemicals yeah, that, were, yeah. that were in our environment. We've got pollution everywhere. We've got shit going south. And we've got a lot of new diseases all the time because of our technology and because of what we're doing to the, our environment. So, yeah. you know, like what came first, right? The, do we have to make diseases, uh, make uh, vaccines to cure the diseases that we're creating from technology and all our shit, or do we just have to live healthier and then not need vaccines? Like it's, uh, it seems to me like it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing or something. Either way, it should be a right to choose for everyone. And you think so? Be, yeah. hundred percent. It's part of being free. Well, I, mm. when you, when you look at stuff like red, I, I was, listening to the reflective air podcast and they were talking about vaccines that, and the flu vaccine that went through, uh, through the UK and, uh, they came out with a, a study on it that said it was 5% effective. Basically it got a whole bunch of people sick and it was the wrong, you know, the wrong strain and a bunch of stuff. And it basically was not, it was worthless. So, you but know, you washed your hands is 20% effective. Well, washing your hands is, Four times as effective as a flu vaccine in the UK? Maybe. So where do you draw the line, Rad, between the, the, how do you know between the vaccines that are just out there fucking to keep propagating the financial profits of Merck and these vaccine makers, right? And what's really just beneficial and good? I honestly don't know. 
The problem is that uh, if you make those kind of decisions, you're not just making them for yourself. If you are living within a community like, you know, a, a city or a town or whatever, you know, your decisions also impact people within your community. So if people decide to not vaccinate their children, that decision is also, you know, indirectly impacting the people uh, uh, who are not making that decision for themselves. So it, it becomes incredibly complex and, and tricky. Because so, of the herd immunity? Yeah. But yeah, even if that is some kind of a catchphrase, whatever, you know, we humans are gregarious animals, well, animals or beings, whatever you want to call it. So we live in a community. The things that we do ourselves impact the people surrounding us. So that's a slippery slope, buddy. Well, it is, but so is our fates are as being humans, you know, that is our fate. That is our choice. Why is it slippery, Darren? Well, because once you start saying, well, if that, that you got to make choices for the greater good, then I mean, it's not too long before what, but before it goes from that choice to another choice to another choice. Yeah. And, and you're forced to take all this stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. That's right. just it. And that's where it starts. I mean, it, it just, it's too fucked up for me, man. When, when that much money's involved, then I can't help but think that there's fuckery afoot when it's everywhere else. Uh, well, there's money involved else. in anything, you know? I mean, there's always ways to profit em everything, even, even tragedy, you know? So I don't know if that's a good enough way to gauge <laughs> whether something should be Consider it's good enough for me. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's it's. Uh, we got to do a show on that on the on the sort of money money aspect of everything. Yeah, a few. Okay. Yeah, but definitely. <clears throat> I want to get back into it more like the zeitgeisty type thing, like because money is really once I once I opened up my mind to what was going on in the financial system and the zeitgeist type type meme. It's it's hard to look at things the same way now. It's a mess, it's, man. Fuck, it's such a mess financially. Mm. Makes you wonder how you, how we got here. I know, and how we're gonna get out of it because it seems like <laughs> it's just getting worse. Maybe uh, we should all fucking come tumbling down one yeah, day. And, and people have sent us uh, feedback on like the Paul Hellier one where we talked about the the debt based system that we're in, and he's got some solutions on you know countries creating their own. Uh, low interest money, right? Not through the central banks. And we've had feedback on people saying that um, we should do more of that. Mm -hmm. Feedback every direction. I know. It's getting overwhelming. More grab, less grab. More granting, less no. granting. Everybody wants more grab and more it's, RPG. Yeah, it's and, definitely uh, going to become more interesting, you know? And yeah, definitely. Interesting in the Chinese sense of the yeah, world yeah. <laughs> we do live i got it we do live in the most interesting times i don't know it's uh, that's what everybody yeah. says no but this is it man. maybe the world yeah. is connected like the, the <laughs> collective internet consciousness that we are it's it is yeah. interesting very um, it really feels like a crucible of, of sorts yeah 
Yeah, I suppose hindsight's twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so thanks for coming on again, Red. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks to John for coming on the show. Um, support the show, guys. Gramerica.ca slash support. Uh, all the sorts of different options there to help us uh, keep the lights on. Uh, sign up for the newsletter. Gramerica.ca slash news. Spam the shit out of Gram. Graham at Gramerica.com. Tell a friend and review the show. I think that's it. Yeah, that's about it. Thanks. Thanks for listening, guys. We will see you next week. When the bombs start falling down I know just where we can be found Lawn chairs on commons here states Planning our Orwellian escape But I know just where we can go So follow me down these streets of gold While we sing and we'll sing Prayers to the suffering And we'll sing Curse to mushroom clouding that brings us to the nuclear winter now further south to avoid this damn fallout all is scarce but our love is of late one positive side effect of hate What equals two lovers plus radiation And I never wanted to be apart And you never wanted us to be apart So take my hand and follow me into the Clouding that brought us together. <laughs>